0: Hi there, I'm your host Dr. Stephanie Smith. This is the Move On Past podcast and it's episode 32. If you're new to listening to this podcast, I gear this information for the overworked, overwhelmed, and worried and share in different conversations with different people, a few meditations, uh, read some blogs, just a little hodgepodge of stuff. If you like the information, go back, subscribe Listen to a few more. Love to hear from you. You can contact me at moveonpass.com. Contact me, shoot me an email. I'll be the person who reads it. You can also send me a voicemail at anchorfm.com. Would love to hear your suggestions for future podcasts, or if you have a question that you'd like me to answer, be more than happy to do that on air on the podcast for you. This format is a little bit switched up. Uh, This time I'm sharing a conversation that I have with Shannon Vanderswag. Shannon interviewed me for a summit a few months ago geared for first responders and military on trauma. And uh, Shannon shares a bit of her personal information, being someone from the military, moving from nursing into coaching, 20 years experience, and... She is a success coach. You want to find out more about Shannon, you can go to legendaryphoenix.com. I'm sure she would love to hear from you and share some information about what she does, if you like. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. If you like the podcast, subscribe. Let me know about it. Thank you so much for listening.
1: 27-year military veteran, and I realized a few years ago that I was very disconnected with my family, and that came from the repeated trauma that I have endured throughout my military career and throughout my life. I didn't realize that it had a full impact on me until I took my daughter off to college, and at I took her to her freshman year at Old Miss, and I overheard her having a conversation with her girlfriend, and she said, I haven't had a mother since this date and time. Well, that date and time was upon a return from a deployment, and it was very true, but even then, it didn't help me to move forward with my own healing journey. It took until I became depressed and anxious because I continued to store all the trauma that I have endured. Um, I call it in my back pocket, and so I'm on this healing journey, and as I'm going through this journey, I want to offer you opportunities to have other healing modalities that may work better for you, because I found pathways that have been amazing, and I've healed exponentially in the last few years. The guest today that I brought to you is Dr. Stephanie Smith. She is a doctor of developmental education a licensed professional counselor, supervisor, and a licensed specialist school in school psychology. Thank you for joining this and helping to offer some opportunities for learning and growth for our listeners.
0: Absolutely. So why
1: I chose uh, Dr. Smith is because of her background in education And I also am fully aware that um, she's stationed, well, she's not stationed, my apologies. She works outside of Fort Hood, which is a large military base, for those of you that may or may not know, in Central Texas. And because of that, she's dealt with many veterans that are dealing with trauma. And I felt that she had an amazing background in trauma therapies and trauma treatments or whatever term you would like to use with that. And that's why I picked her. So... Your summit is on, or this part of your summit is on safety versus protection. Mm-hmm. Tell me what you mean by the title of this segment.
0: You know, I I, I kind of went back and forth on what I might title our, our discussion. And I really thought about it based upon like the clients that I see. Uh, a lot of things kind of anchor in their struggle with finding balance between safety and protection. And by that, I mean like, are how they're processing information and how they're price processing their experiences. A lot of times I notice if they happen to go through some sort of trauma, be it, be it minor or or major or chronic or acute, whatever it happens to be, sometimes they get stuck, their body gets stuck in a certain state. And so By safety, that's ideally where we want to be operating, and that's where we're able to make those uh, safe, and we feel safe, we feel connected, we're able to build healthy relationships and and grow in that way, but sometimes uh, we struggle in areas of protection, and that's whenever our body perceives that actually it's like a neuroception so our body is perceiving the environment and that's whenever we might notice that it feels like at all times we're unsafe and so we move into protective mode and when we do that and move into that protective mode we're a little more hyper vigilant and detached and really looking for things everything kind of seems like danger and it's very unsettling for our body and so a lot of times when clients are coming in, they are stuck in that protective mode and they're wondering why they're unable to have these connections or why they're stuck or why they're, they're struggling with depression or grief or, or, um, unable to kind of process through to feel
1: healthy and whole again. Absolutely. Absolutely. agree with that. Neuroperception. Can you tell me what that is?
0: Sure. Um, I kind of threw that out there as, <laughs> as a little term um, in lingo. And neuroception was, was termed, and c- it's a term that's coined by, uh, coined by uh, Stephen Por- Porges. He's the author that wrote uh, research and wrote about his research on polyvagal theory. Mm-hmm. And basically, neuroception, the way he describes it, is our body's perception of the environment to tie into polyvagal theory, that's that theory where basically our, how our nervous system processes our experiences. So going back to safety and protection, protection puts us in fight, flight, or freeze. And safety, which that really will activate uh, our nervous system known as the sympathetic nervous system. So that activates our Fight, flight, and freeze—we're operating in our in our sympathetic nervous system, and it, if it stays stuck in there, our body's energy doesn't flow completely, and we're unable to really restore. So we really want to move more into the parasympathetic nervous system, which is our safety system, and that allows our body to our energy to flow and uh, us to restore and feel more whole and be. Uh, resting, relaxing—they'll call it the parasympathetic. Is called the rest and digest yes. system, and and so polyvagal, meaning the vagus nerve makes up most of our areas of the autonomic nervous system. And poly meaning there's a, not a, a lot of nerves that <laughs> that make up the vagus the vagus nerve and a lot of different connections. So yeah. that kind of talks about neuroception. It's really how our nervous system responds
1: to our environment. Awesome. So. Uh, you gave me the definition so could you give me an example of what that might look like if I was in fight-or-flight what that might look at like to somebody that's around me
0: so someone that comes in and they might be in fight-or-flight mode it it varies depending upon how chronic that state might be so someone who has fight-or-flight or freeze mode they might be in Kind of a freeze state or a shutdown mode. When we're looking at someone in a protective state, if it's anxiety, so mm-hmm. if it's a high tone uh, protective state, they might be in a more anxious state. So you might see them unable to really settle their body. So very fidgety, mm-hmm. um, unable to stay on topic, kind of moving around on each topics, unable to really stay focused. A lot of times kids within uh, the school systems might get misdiagnosed as ADHD yes. and attentive type. Mm-hmm. And that and that really has to do, maybe it might have to do with just some, a chronic state of their sympathetic nervous system being activated. So more anxiety based than maybe something along the lines of inattention. Um, so, so we really kind of look at how we differentiate that. So it's really someone who's operating in very reactive could be um a protective state so very defensive feeling unsafe really unable to make a connection or a bond Mm -hmm. and someone who might be does that make sense no it does
1: makes perfect sense to me yeah
0: okay so then someone i think you asked this question what it might look like for somebody who's in a safety state did you ask me that
1: I did okay. but it's a great question to follow up with that.
0: Okay. I sure will. Cause yeah, I created that question in my mind while I was talking. So yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's great. It's a great question. Cause I would have, I would have asked you when you were finished with that, because I think they need to know both sides of the coin, right? What does it look like to feel safe and what does it look like to feel protected? Because I think as somebody that suffers with complex PTSD I feel like in that protective mode that I am just fine, but those around me know that I'm not. And so I think that that's a very relevant question to follow up with.
0: Because I think sometimes uh, we think that protected and safe are interchangeable, Correct. but that's not necessarily the case because of, of course that sounds like, yeah, the umbrella of protection, of course I'm gonna feel safe. But in my, in my mind, it's a need-based, so if someone is in need of protection, then they're more apt to seek refuge and being un- unable to do that, so they're in a very desperate state of really, I'm just looking to relax to right. where if we're safe, it means we're already, our need is already met. Right. And So we're going to be more relaxed. We're going to be more comfortable. We might notice that our shoulders move down, that we're able to connect, that we really are able to be reciprocal in a conversation and we'll feel someone's energy interchange with ours. So, and we're able to regulate uh, when we happen to have a heightened state, when we're operating in our, we could very easily move from sympathetic to parasympathetic, because it's like, oh, overall, I feel safe, so something might trigger me, I hear a noise off, and I'm going to say, oh, that's nothing, I'm okay, I'm in a safe state,
1: nice. and so
0: it's much more relaxed, it's much more engaged, so someone who's in a safe state, so that kind of gives you kind of an example of each, so you know, like, oh, so if, if I'm If you're thinking like, well, that that protective state doesn't really define me, Mm -hmm. Um, but if the safe state doesn't define you either, then more than likely you're operating in a more protective state and whether it be like uh, in a shutdown state, um, which is a low tone uh, sympathetic sympathetic response and that's going to be more along the, the lines of I want to disengage and we're looking more along the lines of like a depressive state. I want to isolate. Yeah. I really don't want to engage. I want to be by myself. So that's an, a little bit more of like maybe if those protected examples didn't make sense then you might be in more of a, a low tone response of the sympathetic nervous system and that's going to be more shut down. So sleeping more, unmotivated, really unable or wanting to be involved.
1: Okay, you're probably gonna explain this so I'm gonna hold this question off but I have a question that I may throw at you about something that happened with me that I think would, okay. would pertain to this but we'll save it for the end. Sure. Why do you sometimes get stuck in protection mode? Ooh. Good question.
0: I think we sometimes get stuck in protective mode, uh, for two reasons. Um, one is that not, not to be flip about my response, but the way our brain is wired, um, our brain is pretty lazy if it's because it's meant to work in efficiency. So if there's a neural pathway that's built, and if that neural pathway is I'm under chronic stress, and I operate in my, parasympath- in my sympathetic nervous system, then more than likely that becomes the familiar pathway. So we'll sometimes get stuck in a protective state because it becomes a, a neural pathway habit. Mm-hmm. And most often, if I'm going to GPS myself to uh, somewhere that I'm comfortable going, I'm gonna be an automatic pilot and I'm going to stay on the interstate or I'm gonna go somewhere where I'm familiar. Our responses sometimes when we stay in a protective state become not necessarily comfortable, but they become familiar. And so we become familiar and comfortable with our discomfort in the protective state. So we're used to being defense, we're used to fighting, we're used to fleeing, we're used to avoiding. We're used to kind of shutting down. So that becomes the easy route, so to speak. Let me put my other quote up. When in actuality, it's not easy. It's just familiar. Mm -hmm.
1: It just feels easier because it's familiar and what you know. Mm -hmm. And
0: really it's your body, your body's nervous system saying, um, you know, hey, this is our habit. This is what you want me operating in. So until we become intentional, and begin to think about how am I going to build new neural pathways to a safe and protected and connected place, you know, to where I recognize, like, not only am I protective, but I'm also safe, and we're able to calm ourselves and regulate and, and be able to have uh,
1: that feeling of safety. Okay, well, then I think this question pertains, and you can, you can tell me, you can correct me, so this isn't one that we prepped for. Um, it's one that came to me as I'm sitting here listening to you. So yesterday um, there were helicopters flying over. And for me, helicopters is a true trigger into my anxiety and fear, right? I go right into fear and my heart races and it hurts in my body. And I even yesterday had a minor flashback of, okay, this is what's happening, but I was able to because I've come so far, because at one time, I wasn't able to differentiate that, or I would wake up startled and scared, because it might be a nightmare. In this case, this just happened to occur broad daylight, um, which is new for me. Um, but I was able to rationalize, I guess, in my head that, okay, I'm in, I'm in my house, mm-hmm. I'm in a safe space, and I'm okay. So would that be I was in protection and then went to safety is really what the question is with having that scenario.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And Deb Dana, so she is a, I think she's a licensed social worker. And what she talks about is uh, the ladder of the polyvagal system and really kind of acknowledging and recognizing like, oh, I'm in fight or flight. I'm in fight or flight or freeze. And my common familiar response when I used to be in danger is when I heard that, that cued me to be alert and hypervigilant mm-hmm. and pay attention. And yes. because you were intentional and with your thoughts and you oriented yourself into the environment, you know, looked around and you're like, I'm in my bedroom. Right. Pretty sure I'm safe. So right. intentionally you created. Uh, kind of a instead of going the interstate of protection, you went farm to market road of safety, right. <laughs> because you we're being intentional. And you were like, "Okay, I'm creating a new pathway for when I hear the helicopter above me because I'm in a new environment." So you cued your body's nervous system to say, "Pay attention to my thoughts because we're safe and we're okay," yeah. and and so then you were able to orient yourself into the environment, and it created a new response that might've been more difficult because you were used to the familiar protected state. Right. So you brought yourself back, hopefully back into a regulated state. And more often, um, when you go through chronic trauma, ideally you're only supposed to go into your sympathetic nervous system in a quick brief protective response to make get yourself back to safety. But when you've been in a chronic environment to where everything is unsafe and everything is a potential danger uh, for a long period of time, our body becomes familiar with that. So it Mm -hmm. takes you a little while to move yourself out of, out of um, the sympathetic state back into the parasympathetic state, which is
1: that. Yeah, let me say that there's been a lot of retraining. This is, this wasn't overnight. There's been a lot of different modalities of therapy, which is again, why I said I wanted to do this is absolutely modalities out there. Because at one time, I would have woken up in that state and stayed in that state. But then I Mm -hmm. would have went about my day functioning and thinking that I was fine. But really, I wasn't because I was just kind of going through the motions and Mm -hmm. attending to what I needed to attend to. But at the end of the day, I was either physically or emotionally exhausted and didn't understand what was really happening with my body. And as I've gone through the therapies, I'm learning that that exhaustion is not necessarily a physical exhaustion. A lot of times it was mental for me. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: You You touched upon something, Shannon, that was very important. You said you you had to engage your different modalities of what you've learned, because trauma leaves an imprint in our body. So we can do, uh, you know, all the, uh, and this (laughs) as a counselor uh, to say, we could do all the talk therapy we want, but we're not necessarily touching upon our whole body healing. And so while we might tell ourselves like we're safe, a lot of times our body and and chronic stress, our body leads not our mind. And so our body is going to say, no, uh, we are in danger. So whatever you have to say to me doesn't matter because I'm going to have a physical reaction. I'm going to have a panic attack. I'm going to shut down. I'm going to uh, engage. And, And so it takes us a little bit more intention and modalities. And like, this is where I can pull, this is the tool that I can pull that reminds me that I'm safe, that I'm sound, and that I'm that I'm in a place where I don't have to be triggered anymore. So it really recognizes that, you know, you're replacing the negative experiences with positive ones through intention. So, so yes. yeah, that's a, that's a great example.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Well, that's probably why it occurred yesterday then, ironically. Okay. So why is it some people manifest anxiety why others become depressed? And I think you actually touched on this a little bit. Um, so speaking for myself, I develop both. However, what I find out when I start going through the treatments, the different or modalities, therapies, whatever words you want to use, right? I actually fall asleep. It gets to a certain point where I'm like, I'm done. And I can actually fall asleep sometimes in the different modalities of therapy. So I don't know if that's depression, so to speak, but depression was my main indicator that I needed to get out of bed and I didn't want to. So I'd love to understand that more.
0: Yeah. so really, um, I think of it more of like high tone and low tone nervous system responses. Okay. And, and by that, I mean like the high tone being higher energy higher um, alarm system in our body, saying like, hey, we still have a chance to get to safety. Uh, Let's alert, let's go, let's go, let's go. And To where I almost see, I'm always, I always tell my my persons who are struggling with depression, like, I'm gonna be excited when you come in here and you're mad because you're a level above the energy level of, because to me, mad is a a covering of anxiety and it's Mm -hmm. still saying, hey, there's some hope that we can get to safety to where depression is more along the like, hey, I've been working so hard. My nervous system has been working so hard. I really have to shut down to rest. So it's almost a state of hopelessness. You know, like I noticed, there was a situ I can give an example of that. Like we have these fawns that are running around on our land right now. So they're they're born and they're like running around and they're all new and the and the mama will leave them while the mama goes and gets food and the little fawns will stay under the grass or hidden somewhere. Well, they happen to think like my backyard on the inside of the fence was a safe place mm-hmm. until I decide to come out and put some water in the pool and they Flipped out. So I have like five fawns banging up (laughs) against the fence trying to find like, how did I get in here and how do I get out? So they're right there activated, fight or flight. And then eventually, like all of them made it out except for one. So I kind of backed off and waited for a second to maybe have them find their own way out. And some of them did. And some were like, okay, well, so I think I'm going to try to wrangle them out and there's one and he just keeps banging on the on the fence and eventually he just kind of collapses from exhaustion mm-hmm. and i was able to go and pick him up and carry him out of the yard okay. and that was a that's a good example of like fight flight and then exhaustion and okay i'm i feel kind of helpless because what I'm doing isn't solving the problem. So I'm just going to shut down and be in a state of like, I've resolved to the fact that I'm unsafe yeah. and I hit a level of fatigue. So in a way in, in his mind, he was like, okay, well, I've resigned my fight. And, <laughs> and so it was a sad little situation, but it and I was so happy to like, as soon as I got him to, the gate opening, he just leapt, leapt out, and just started jumping, so, like, he was so happy, like, oh, oh, that's all I had to do, (laughs) and you were going to carry me? Great. (laughs) It was was an example to where I could see, I see so often of that continuum of anxiety until it's, like, something is so chronic in us that eventually, like, our body is saying, I'm exhausted, and I just have to rest, you know,
1: it's interesting that you say that because I've dealt with people that have, have had both, right? Who, who are more like me, uh, mm-hmm. but mostly I've dealt with people because of my profession, I've dealt mostly yeah. with people that get very angry. And oh, yeah. I think that really goes back to that part of that anxiety. And I didn't realize anger was part of anxiety. So that was mm-hmm. a really great connection. I appreciate it.
0: It's a secondary, anger is always a secondary protective emotion and it protects our more vulnerable feelings. So anger is kind of an umbrella of protection and it's going to say like, well, I'm here because you're hurt, because you're disappointed, because um, you're anxious, because you have fear, but I'm going to be here to protect you. And uh, oftentimes, especially in when, when we're in one of those stuck states, it's like everything is gonna cue anger, because if everything is unsafe, if every connection that we make is unsafe, then irritability, agitation, Mm -hmm. anger is going to be our response, because it's like, I need to protect myself because I'm already overwhelmed. Quit giving me more. You, You know, so then we're going to see that agitation come up.
1: Yes. And ironically, the anger then pushes everybody around you away from you, because anger is perceived as a very negative emotion, but yet at the same time, it's an emotion that we need to feel at times. Like it's an okay emotion to feel. A lot of times the anger then we exhibit bad behaviors is the way I like to put it. And absolutely. We exhibit you know, bad behaviors and pushes those away. Go ahead. Yeah, so. absolutely. And I, you, yeah, you hit
0: it right on the head. And uh, you said something very interesting that anger seems to be more acceptable And it's because if, if we come to someone, especially male, someone with masculine energy or someone who thinks I'm supposed to take care of myself or I'm in a role of authority, then if I say, wow, what you said really hurt my feelings, then that's going to seem vulnerable and unprotected and our little bellies get exposed. And that means, Hey, guess what? We're going to get hurt again. So, a a lot of times it's really finding our strength and our vulnerability and being able to like expose the belly and say like, Hey, I, I can, I can protect myself without that explosion or without that iceberg of emotion to back, uh, to back me on the boundaries that I'm trying to set with you. That's
1: awesome. Oh, that's a whole nother topic. Boundaries and anger. Yes. (laughs) All right, so we won't go there today, but I'm sure that in the future we can. Yeah, we don't want to open that can of worms. No, not yet, no. Next summit. Next week. <laughs> oh. Next 21-day summit, we'll yes, do that. Next, next time. So actually, we'll talk about that at the end. So I'm going I'm <laughs> to and make these a little different next time. So how can we move from, the, from feeling the need to protect and begin to feel more safe? So how, how do I go from those extremes? Mm, great question. And the golden
0: rule. I mean, kind of that golden question of like what we're all seeking is like, how do I heal? Right. Uh, basically. So the thing that I think about is um, very interesting because uh, it, I, I had mentioned before how we regulate. Yes. and And so what we really need to do, because a lot of times what our interpretation is because, because we can't really control our nervous system or our body's response. We think, well, I must be broken, you know, or I'm wrong. I'm doing something that's just not right. But really it's, it's our nervous system. It's not that we're doing something wrong. It's that, it's that our, we need to alert our nervous system and give our nervous system permission to recognize the safety. So with that, that comes regulation. And self-regulation is two types of regulation, self-regulation and co-regulation are are very key. Self-regulation, a lot of things that that we might work on would be things along the lines of like recognizing the tension within our body, Mm -hmm. uh, recognizing uh, the judgment and criticism that internally we tell ourselves when something is going wrong or the guilt that we might feel after a situation and really recognizing, Hey, that's my, if, if we can cue in to knowing like, that's my, that's my body's natural response. I'm not broken. I just need to regulate and recognize how I take care of myself. And so with, Self-regulation we do that through our internal thoughts, our paying attention to our energy, how we're regulating internally and another big one is um, and this is really about the, like the safety and connection and that really will most often help us to get back into our parasympath- or back into our parasympathetic nervous system and um, and that's really co-regulating and so, Counseling is a good example of that because you're being around someone who is uh, safe and calm, and you're able to feel that energy of validation, of normalization, and it's happening on an external state. So our body gets cued that, oh, my environment is safe. Yes. And so co regulation becomes a very uh, key component. In building back our ability to stay safe and connected to others and so that that can happen also um, I had mentioned before the the act of orienting to the environment yes
1: you did
0: and so there's two types of orientation that can happen
1: okay
0: um, there's exploratory and defensive okay so defensive would be I had someone once use this term. They called it SLAR, and he said my, it's an aviation term, which is basically I'm looking around my environment to see what might be of danger. So he, he would always say my SLAR turns on when I'm in public. And it's I'm scanning the area, and that's a defensive orientation uh, where we're simply looking for the areas of danger. Okay. To so where, where if situational
1: we, awareness, we're, we're trying to get the situational awareness all around us.
0: Mm-hmm, yes, mm-hmm. Okay. And that's a, and that's a protective state okay. that our mind is in. Yes. Now, if we shift our mindset to like, Hey, I, you know, I want to explore, uh, and, and I'm going to go into exploratory, uh, orientation, that's more, I'm coming at it, not from a protective state, but a curious state Okay. and a more grounding state. And so exploratory orientation is more about, I'm looking at those things that anchor me and ground me into safety. Okay. And, and so those might be things where we engage our senses, um, like what are five things in the environment? I, I call it handling. So it's more uh, sensory work. Uh, with exploratory orientation and it's really recognizing uh, I'll do a practice to ground someone and it might be five things that that we see in the environment that that's comforting to us okay Uh, four things that we might hear Uh, three things that we might touch two things that we might smell and one thing we might taste okay And, and so that's a way to kind of engage our senses Mm-hmm. And the engagement in our environment, especially if our environment is safe, which most often when we have a degree of overreaction, it's because our environment is safe. And so that's a way of kind of grounding us so that exploratory orientation is a is a very Im- important way to bring us back into a safe state.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. I think I think that makes perfect sense. <laughs> Okay. What would you say is the first step you would recommend to help someone struggling with feeling either feeling safe or emotionally safe? If they, if they, if they couldn't get there, what would, what would be some of the steps? Oh, that just cued something else that I thought is like, oh yeah, this is one of the, the best
0: things within our control that kind of helps us get unstuck. Okay. And that's our breath.
1: And that's What would that look like? So if I needed to use my breath, what would that look like for me? So sometimes I'll get
0: people that come in and, you know, sometimes the initial counseling appointment is stressful in itself, (laughs) you know, so they'll come in. Yeah. I normally see this on maybe the first appointment and I'll notice somebody will come in and they, and they just, they'll talk, they'll talk, they'll talk. And I see them inhale but I will never see them exhale. (laughs) And and I keep thinking, well, you know, there's a clear indication something in the body is stuck because breathing in, breathing in is a sympathetic response, breathing out is a parasympathetic response. So that's release, letting go, relaxing, And so the key to meditation, I don't know if you have anybody that's going to talk on meditation and I don't mean to minimize whatever they're going to bring because they are gifted and they will bring in some wonderful things for you to do. But if you're not someone that thinks they have time for meditation, you know, uh, then first off, you, you should maybe rethink that because if you don't have... If you don't have 10 minutes to meditate, then you should probably meditate for 30. So my thought would be is that when you exhale, that creates a smooth rhythm in your body. And most often, if we're holding our breath or if we're stuck, we don't have a rhythm. Right. And so the thought is that is the the biggest component of control that we have to find rhythm back in our body. Okay. So when we exhale and release that, our exhale should always be longer than our inhale. Mm -hmm. And and if you can create that inhale, uh, and people who play, uh, read instruments or musical instruments or sing like their exhale or run, they're very comfortable with, uh, their exhale. Mm -hmm. And they know like, Hey, I I can't contain that. Or guess what? I'm going to pass out over the floor or not be able to hold that note or play that clarinet or or run that lap like so breathing out is super important just as much as so you find that rhythm of breathing in through your nose and then out through your mouth and if you're wondering like well I just can't exhale that long for whatever probably because of whatever little protective thing that you've used which Sometimes people go to smoking mm-hmm. and, and I'll say, you know what, if you exhale the sm- without the smoke going through your lungs, guess what? You're meditating. Mm-hmm. They hate that. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> smokers hate that because, <laughs> because the smoking, inhale. But if you exhale as if the same way that you're blowing smoke from the cigarette out, then that's a meditative state. So, when you breathe out, that is uh, a balancer for you, and it engages your parasympathetic nervous system, which tells you you can rest and digest, and, and slow your body and start to restore. Uh, so the that you release, and then whenever you bring in, and if you visualize, you know something of joy, something that that anchors you, something that is a memory of beauty when you breathe in and you imagine, I'm gonna breathe in that moment. And when I exhale, I'm gonna put it in a space of ache or pain or emptiness. Then you've created a visual rhythm that comes in with your body of, I'm releasing some negative out. And if you could even get into a rhythm, if you're having a hard time with that, when I talk about rhythm, a lot of times I'll see uh, someone who has a very heightened awareness, um, maybe someone on the autism spectrum scale. Okay. They will regulate physically quite often. So you might see them rock back and forth. And that's really them engaging that level of... Uh, functioning to where they're in fight or flight and they recognize it and they want out of it. And so they'll rock, mm-hmm. find a rhythm. And that is something that will give us comfort. So if we can find a rhythm or a pattern, um, that creates a, a like-minded pattern in our mind, like it just, a, just a rhythm or being around people, if we want to add in co-regulation, we can, um, do something as a group together. So it might be some sort of exercise class or spin class or whatever. And people will like exercise classes more than they like exercising alone. And it has to do a little bit with that co-regulation because you're in a room with everyone that has the same plan and they have the same intention. And so you're going to feel that energy and feel somewhat uh, a very minimal amount of co-regulation happening because everybody has that same goal. Yeah, those are those are a few. I'm kind of spinning off into some randomness, but yeah, th- those are, I would say breathing, to get back, to bring myself back from the rabbit trail. <laughs> I, I would say breathing.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, I would say breathing is a very key component um, to really helping us balance and probably one of the very first steps that I would have someone if they're able, because sometimes people are at such a heightened state that they don't feel safe with breathing. And so then it might be like, well then, hey, how about you just, let's walk together. Walk with me, right? go for a walk with me. And guess what we're doing, we're co-regulating because I'm sharing an exercise with you at the same time and we're joining together in our energy. And that's going to make you feel more safe and more connected than doing it alone. So whenever we're able to do that, and then eventually, if we're pacing at a very high pace, you're going to follow me as I begin to slow down, or, or I might even say, hey, how about we just rock it back and forth for a second? Huh? Or how about we find a rhythm somewhere? Or how about we throw this ball back and forth? And we have more of a regulated, co-regulated state. And so sometimes if it's hard to self-regulate and contain and get control of our body, I'm going to do something that's going to help someone co-regulate
1: with me. Okay. So then I have a question. When you talked about the breathing, so one of the exercises when I first went in to talk about my stuff is they would um, have me breathe. And mm-hmm. so they would, I think, breathe in for breathe in for like two to four and then let it out. Is that something similar? Is that a similar exercise? Like they would yeah. tell me to count my breathing. I don't remember yes. the exact steps. I use it sometimes, but it's more mm-hmm. like take a deep breath in and then you're counting to like one, two, three, four, and then you're holding. So they say would hold for like two or something, like two seconds. And mm-hmm. then I would release for like five, something. I don't know if that's the exact pattern, but so four seven eight breathing it's a that's
0: a lamaze exercise too
1: okay
0: uh, Of like uh getting control of your breathing so you can manage your pain so that's kind of the same thing and as i look behind you there's a rectangle behind you so there's something else that's called square breathing and pretty much in any environment there's a square so i just engage something that you can't see but if you look at the square that's framing me it's also a rectangle So if you start, let's say, at the bottom base of a corner.
1: Okay, I'm there.
0: And you're going to follow that line, and you're going to inhale to go up to the next corner. And then you're going to hold as you move your line across the top. Okay. And then you're going to exhale when you go down. And then inhale. Follow the line. Exhale up. And so as you kind of follow that pattern, some might want the hold, but some might just want to inhale and exhale. And the hold is really kind of giving you space and stillness in that hold and kind of gathering. And then whenever you exhale, you're kind of doing a a more of a release with that because you really want that air out when you're, when somebody asks you to hold it for seven and and you're like seven seconds is a very long time to hold my breath. (laughs) When I'm intentional with it, you just made me breathe in for four and I was already holding my breath because I'm in sympathetic nervous system. So (laughs) I haven't been (laughs) feeling since I got here. So, So it really creates a real desire to exhale that air when they ask you to hold it for seven, um, because that's when you realize, like, wow, I'm containing quite a bit. So, when you exhale, there's a desire to do that. So, that's why sometimes they'll do the four, seven, eight breathing, um, oh. you know, because you're, they're making you hold your breath and recognize how tight your body is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, there's a desire to get yourself back into a relaxed state. So, you exhale with that. And you're,
1: you want to push it all out. Yeah, it makes sense. It makes perfect sense. Okay. So, is there anything else that you would like to share with us that we may have missed on Polybagel or any techniques or? Um, I really think someone
0: who is struggling with getting themselves back into safety and they're they're wanting some sort of structured breathing class. I'd say. Um, Pranayama yoga is a lot of breath work, and so is kundalini yoga. Okay. They focus a lot on how we control our breathing and finding that rhythm of breath. So that might be a recommendation if the breath work What a lot of times people dismiss that breathing is important, uh, which is kind of ironic, it, you know, since that's what sustains our life. Um so so the thought is, is that if you can control that and find yourself in a rhythm, it, it's going to bring about some, some healing a lot quicker as, as you continue, continue with the other modalities.
1: That's awesome. I like that. Very good. Very good. If there's nothing else, then we're going to go ahead and close this up. I want to thank you for coming on and taking time out of your very busy schedule to speak to me and educate our audience on polyvagal and the parasympathetic and the sympathetic and fight or flight. Um, it made some things very, very clear to me, and I have a better understanding of why some of my responses are the way they are. A few times I got to giggling with you, but that's a whole nother story. But, <laughs> but, um, but for those of you that don't know, she's actually my cousin as well. So I thought I would share that. So There's a couple. You don't times know
0: that I- background. I- yeah. <laughs>
1: I went into giggle mode for no reason, but it's just this is just a kind of a different place to be with your cousin. So I
0: know we get giddy when we get together. So yeah, people don't know our little goof ass background. But
1: no, that's <laughs> no, that's kinda of bad sometimes. Yeah, I
0: know. Yeah. So it was cool to like meld wor- uh worlds with you, Chief Master yeah. Sergeant. So, oh, no. so thank you. Thank you very much huh. for including me. I was happy to be here.
1: Oh, Nice. That's awesome. Again, I want to thank the audience for being here. I wouldn't be here without you being present and I wouldn't be here without my lovely speakers. So Dr. Smith, I really like to thank you for being here and offering again insight and want to say goodbye. Have a wonderful day.
0: Thank you very much, Shannon, for having me.